But so excited to have you here today. Let me give just a couple of quick announcements uh, before we jump into the rest of the service. First of all, if you are visiting with us, we would love to connect with you. We do something here called Text to Connect, and so the information will be coming up on the screen. And in your text message system, you can just put in the message area, Victory18, and you text it to the number 31996, and what that does, that sends you a connection card. And it's an opportunity for you to get involved, get connected. There's also boxes you can check if you're interested in salvation or baptism or a dream team or anything like that. There's a other box towards the end that you can click in case you have any questions for us. But we are really passionate about getting you what we like to call from your seat to your feet. We want to get you connected. We want to get you involved. Church is life-changing. I believe that. But I believe one of the best things about church is doing life with the people in the church and being able to get connected and being used by God in the church in all those ways. And that's how you do that, is by getting connected. And so again, if that's you, if you've been visiting with us for a while, or maybe you're here for the first time, I'd love for you to text that number and get connected. Also, uh, any Sunday, if you ever find yourself interested in baptism, whatever, you can also do that as well. Uh, If you're interested in giving, we have three ways that you can give here at Victory in case you are attending, whether you're online or here in person and interested to give. You can give online through our website or our app. Both of those ways you can do online. You can also text to give. Um, when number, all the information will be on the screen. And then you can also, as you're leaving, there is a black box in our lobby area. If you're more of a cash check kind of person, you're able to give money there. Uh, I do want to always do my best to celebrate and tell you what we're able to do with the money that you're given. Church, I, I was in a board meeting uh, a couple weekends ago, and the board was freaking out about how well we've stewarded our finances. To be such a young church, to be coming out of a pandemic, and I think I shared this a couple weeks ago, we've given over $100,000 to community outreaches and global outreaches since we started as a church. I think that deserves a little bit of an applause, don't you? I mean, $100,000? That's insane to me. Uh, We're gearing up for some really exciting things. I'll be able to tell you more about it as I get closer, but we're working on our gift for all of our Rock uh, Rock Springs Middle School teachers uh, that will be coming back to school. We got a really cool idea that we'll show you as soon as we get it developed, and you'll hear me talk more about this soon. We will be doing an event. It's the 4th of July celebration event here in Smyrna. We have a booth area. Uh, We'll be providing a dunk tank, and I'll be in the dunk tank for a little bit. Don't get too excited, okay? Um, But we're also talking to the mayor and a few other people that are, you know, kind of Smyrna leaders to try to be able to get in there and just raise awareness to our community. And we are going to charge, check this out, we're going to charge for people to, it's going to be like a dollar for, I don't know, three balls or whatever it's going to be. And 100% of the money that we get, because of your faithfulness, we can pay for that dunk tank, we can provide all that we need, and 100% of the money that comes in, we're given to the Nourish Food Bank in Smyrna, Tennessee. Come on, come on. We don't have to take out our part. We don't have to go, hey, we'll give you some, but we need to, we need to re, you know, replenish what we pay for the dunk tank. No, our church is so faithful that we're able to do our part and then turn around and say, what do you need, community? What do you need? Um, and so I just thank you for that. I'm so excited to be a part of a church that is such a giving church. Um, as I said just a few minutes ago, uh, we, we are celebrating two holidays. Number one is Juneteenth, which I just think, I, I'd like to put our hands together for that becoming a federal holiday. That's just incredible. Such an awesome opportunity, such a celebration. Like I said, I remember it was probably uh, eight to 10 years ago that I was in my church in Memphis and our pastor brought it before our church and, and nobody, majority of people didn't know what he was talking about. We had never heard of it. And so for the progress that it's made, I just think is absolutely incredible. Um, also, it's Father's Day. So let me say this real quick. Happy Father's Day to all my fathers that are out there. Happy Father's Day. Let's kind of give them a hand. Um, 
So glad to have you. There are going to be a couple of activities for you immediately following service. Soon as service is over, I'm going to ask you to do something at the end of service. And then once you're done with that, please stay and do that. Once you're done with that, you'll go out to the lobby, and there is a merch store out there that you can shop in. Um, there will be snacks, moon pies, RC colas, all that stuff for you. It's free. Take it. Enjoy it. And then as you walk outside, there will be a uh, mobile axe-throwing trailer out there, all right? So you're able to go out there, you'll scan a barcode, fill out the whole sheet so that you can't sue them, and then you'll be able to throw axes right here in the parking lot. So it's just exciting. We want to do something for you just to say, hey, we love you, we want to celebrate you. So I hope after church you have a blast doing that. Uh, we are privileged today to have a baby dedication, and so I want to invite the family up. And as they're coming, I do want to talk a little bit about next Sunday. So as they're coming up here next Sunday, June 27th at 5 p.m., we will have our annual church picnic. And so every year we've done this outside of the COVID year um, where we gather together and we just have food and we have volleyball and frisbee and football and cornhole and all the games, snacks, all kinds of different things and stuff for the kids. And we really want to invite you all to come out, hang out with us from 5 to 7 um, you can actually enter yourself into the dessert contest where there is a Lowe's gift card for the best dessert, but the food will be free. You'll be able to be out there eating. And like I said, we'll have the Frisbees, the cornhole, the volleyball, the basketball, everything you could want to do. Just come out and hang with us for a couple hours and let's be together as a family. One of the reasons we want to do that is we know that we have some church family that's still not comfortable gathering in church. And maybe you're more comfortable gathering outside together and you say, hey, I'd love to go see my family. Come join us next Sunday, 5 to 7 p.m. Cool? Are you happy to be here this morning? Yes. Happy Father's Day. All right. Hey, if you got your Bibles, do me a favor. Open the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. Um, in case you are visiting with us, you're watching online for the first time, we are studying through the book of Acts by chapter. Sometimes it takes us a couple weeks to get through a chapter, and we are beginning Acts chapter 6 today. And it's so funny how God schedules things and lines things up and, and really makes them be exactly, he understands that today's Father's Day and he understood all these different things. And so I'm going to open up and read and then we'll set the stage for the rest of the day. Uh, to give you a little bit of context, by Acts chapter 6, the church itself is exploding. Uh, Christ has resurrected. He's gone back to heaven. The disciples have started to preach the gospel. Persecution has happened, and persecution has actually caused Christianity to grow quicker because people are seeing that they mean business, that they're not just talking out of the side of their mouth. And so now Christianity is exploding, and that's where we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Now, let me say this real quick. Disciples, you knew the disciples as the 12 disciples in the gospels. When Christ resurrected and went to be, or when he ascended, he called the disciples the apostles because they went from being learners to being sent. And so you'll see the word disciples again, but it's not the 12. It's talking about those who are now learning from the 12, okay? So the apostles are the 12, and then disciples are those learning from the 12. So in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, which I'll explain in a minute because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together, and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give all of our attention to prayer, and we'll give all of our attention to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, 
and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We'll find he'll soon be the first martyr. And then also, and don't crucify me if I get some of these names wrong, also Philip, Procarius, Nicanor, uh, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. There's no Johns, Bills, and Marys for some reason. A convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I want to talk to you for a quick moment this morning from the thought, the power of a problem. The power of a problem. I think for us men, there are times where problems are a good thing because they kind of give us purpose. Like, for example, those of you that are dads, sometimes there's nothing better than when your kids have a problem that they need you to solve. Sometimes it's annoying, right? But sometimes there's, you know, if the car tire, if something's wrong with the car, we got to go to dad. If there's something wrong with this, we got to go to dad. If it's broken, we got to go to dad. There's something about men, and this is why I thought it was so accurate for Father's Day, that there's something kind of inside of us where we are kind of created to fix things. Like, that's just kind of what it, like, you just kind of know. I was talking to some guys last night, and we would get talking about their dads, and it was like, yeah, he taught me how to do this, and he taught me how to do this, and he taught me how to fix this, and it's just kind of what men do. Not all men, but, but some men, and most men, it's kind of what we do. For me, I, I, I've always had this, like, weird thing about me that I was wanting to always solve the problem. So it didn't matter what the problem was. If, if somebody came to me about a problem, even if they didn't want me to fix it, I tried to fix it. Like there would be, I'd be like, well, you know, you could talk to her about this or, or you could do this. If, if someone put a problem on Facebook, I was like, man, should I message them and tell them that they could do that? Like I always want to fix the problem. And I really thought that was normal. Like I thought that's how I was supposed to be until I got married. And then I found out that's not the case. And, and I'll never forget early in our marriage, Darla would come to me with, with different things, and I would be like, okay, well, here's what we'll do. We'll do this. We'll fix it like this. And one day, she stopped me in the middle of it. She said, Troy, listen, I'm not telling you this so you'll fix the problem. I said, well, then why are you telling me, right? Like, well, she said, I just want you to listen. And that was new to me, right? Like, like that if you're bringing me a problem, it's natural for me to want to fix the problem. But there was this understanding that, hey, sometimes you're just supposed to listen, I think now in our culture that has swung the other way to where now we are more frequently just listening to the problem than actually stepping up to fix it. And I do believe that sometimes our responsibility is to just listen. But I also think that sometimes our responsibility is to recognize the problem and fix it. So let's go back to Acts 6 for a second. Let me tell you what's going on. I told you about the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews are Jews of Greek culture, okay? So they're, they're, they're one culture. They've they, grown up, raised up in a Greek culture. Hebraic Jews are of a Hebrew culture, okay? So you got one body of Christians, two different cultures. They're not two different races, but they're two different cultures. Greek culture, uh, Hebrew culture. And what was going on is there was a daily distribution of food, kind of like a food pantry where they'd give out people who needed food. And the Greek Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, come up to the Hebrew Jews and they say, hey, we're pretty sure that when it comes to the distribution of the food, our women are not getting enough. They're getting overlooked. And your women are getting more than they need. 
So they present a problem. They say, this, this is a problem. Like, our women aren't getting enough. I feel like your women are getting too much. Something needs to happen. And the disciples say, or the apostles say, okay, you fix it. And, and what I thought was so cool about Acts 6, watch this, y'all, is this is the same disciples. These disciples who brought this group of people together, recognized the problem, and then said, all right, this is how we're going to fix it. They're the same disciples who just a few chapters ago in the Gospels faced a problem when 15,000 people or so needed food, and Jesus said, what are we going to do? And they said, send them away. These are the same guys, minus Judas. These are the same guys that said, we, we can't fix this problem. Send them to somebody else. Now, fast forward, Christ has died, resurrected, and ascended, and they're saying, all right, everybody come in. Here's what we're going to do. You do this, you do this, you do that. They are fixing the problem. And I had this revelation that I think we all need to get, and here's what it is. The acceptance of responsibility is evidence of spiritual maturity. And I mean this in multiple ways. First, in the way of accepting responsibility of like, maybe I was wrong. Maybe, maybe that was my fault. Let, let me look, before I jump on somebody, let me check me first. The other part of it is being able to step up and say, I'll do it. Something needs to be done, I'll do it. The acceptance of responsibility is evidence of spiritual maturity. Last week, I preached this message, Do It Again, and I talked about how, when, how we're in a season now where we kind of feel like we're doing it again. We kind of feel like we're replanting the church because of all that we went through over the past 14 months, and I talked about how sometimes that can feel negative, and, and sometimes you feel like you're having to do it again, and how it's actually we get to do it again, and it's a gift from God, and we talked about how God was showing us that because when you get to do it again, it's not because you failed the first time, but it's because now there's more opportunity to impact more lives, and so now we're doing it again, but we have more people, and we have more resource, and we have... Uh, more influence with the community and all these different things. And, and it was just an awesome day. And people were coming up after service going, man, that was so good because they were able to apply the message to them personally, but also to them as, as a church. And I was talking to one friend of mine after church and she said, I'm so excited about it. She said, I'm so excited that we get to do it again. She said, because I wasn't here the first time, you know, when the church launched, I wasn't here. And she goes, so and I missed all of that. And she said, now I'm here for this and I'm so excited. And then she said this and it was so encouraging. She said, can you imagine what God's going to do? She said, God did all of that for y'all when you had less people and less resource and less influence. Can you imagine what God's going to do this time? And that was so encouraging to me. And it was so exciting to me. And then I stepped back and I go, but you know what? If God's going to do more, then that means there's going to be more responsibility, Right? And here's the message I felt like we needed to hear this morning, is that in responsibility is our reward. In responsibility is our reward. Let me break it down for you. Let's go back to Acts chapter 6, verse 2. So the 12 gather all the disciples together. They say, hey, we got to figure this problem out. The disciples say, here's what's going on. You know, we, we feel like our women aren't getting enough. They're getting overlooked. You know, the church is growing. That happens. Anytime a church grows, there's always going to be problems. Anytime an organization grows, there's always going to be problems that arise. People are going to get overlooked. Issues are going to happen. And so they call everybody and they say, hey, let's figure this out now. And they didn't say, hey, we'll take care of it all. 
Y'all go back, do it. we'll take care of it all. They didn't throw them out. They didn't say, ah, oh, I don't think there's a problem. I just think you're not counting right. Get out. They didn't schedule 25 meetings so they could walk through and, and discuss it to death. They pulled everybody together and they said, all right, someone has to be responsible for this. They delegated it to somebody and they said, let's go. And the problem was fixed. It's powerful. The followers of Jesus Christ, listen to me, were learning that the answer to every problem that they had, the solution to every need, everything they needed to accomplish their task was already in them. Let me say it again. The followers of Jesus were learning that everything they needed to accomplish the task God had given them, the answer to every problem that they had, the, the, the solution for every responsibility was already inside of them. One of the reasons I struggled saying all those names is because they're Greek names. I don't, I don't normally you know, talk about Greek names very often. But the evidence of that, in, in Acts 6, when, when the, the apostle said, choose somebody among you, when you look at the original translation of that word, it actually was of you. So what happened was you had Greek Jews coming to the Hebraic Jews saying, hey, we got a problem. And they said, you solve it. We got a problem. Then pick somebody who's amongst you and fix it, which is why when they go to pick seven men, it's Greek men. This is so important for us to catch. That they didn't come in and say, all right, we'll take care of it. Y'all go back doing whatever you're doing. They didn't say, oh, well, tell you what, we'll find somebody in our group to lead it. Y'all just said, they said, hey, who's got the problem? Well, we got, okay, then you fix it. And that responsibility has kind of distanced itself in our culture today, right? Where we almost feel attacked when somebody tells us that, hey, you fix it. Fix it, do it. Figure it out. Fix it. Make it work. But that's what was happening in Acts 6. The apostles didn't take on that responsibility. We used to tell people all the time in, in our church in Memphis, people would come and they want to start a ministry. And this never failed. People would come and they go, I want to start a basket weaving ministry or something. You know what I mean? Like it was always something crazy. I want to get that shake weight and we'll just, you know, meet as a small group. And here's what we'd tell them every time. We'd say, you can start it, but you have to lead it. And they'd be like, what, what do you mean? And because what would happen is they'd start a ministry and they'd be like, oh, I got busy Oh, and then all of a sudden, you know, one of the staff members would have, and here's how we finally worded it. We'd say, listen, you're not allowed to birth a baby that we have to raise. See what I mean? And that's just important in this season. What, what if I told you, what if I told you that God has a plan that will simultaneously solve the problem and fulfill your heart's desire? All right, I'm gonna show you this today, and I'm trying to, I need you to think out the box a little bit. What if God has a plan that will solve the current problem and at the same time fulfill your heart's desire, and it's all through you? What if he'll do it simultaneously? What if he will do it through you? But you ultimately, and I ultimately, get to choose whether or not we ignore the invitation. I was reading an article a few weeks ago that Mark Zuckerberg, who is the creator of Facebook, 
when he originally had the idea of Facebook, he sent out an invitation to five of his friends. So five of his friends, he said, hey, I want you to come to my dorm room and I wanna talk to you about this idea I have. Two out of the five showed up, okay? So five people got the invitation. Hey, come, I want you to hear about this thing, idea I got. Two show up, so that's less than 50%. Two show up, and currently today, those two people are billionaires. Three of them ignored the invitation. The answer to every problem they were ever gonna have was right there, but they ignored the opportunity. I'll give you another example of that. When Darla and I became children's pastors, we, we weren't, we had never had previous ministry experience outside of volunteering at the church. And so we're both pretty passionate. When we get excited about something, we want to learn all about it. When we find somebody that does something that we like to do, we want to study them. And I had found this children's pastor. His name was Jim Weidman. Uh, he was actually over what they call it a family ministry. He was now over kids and youth and uh, uh, young adults and all. He, he himself, his ministry, had a $4 million budget a year. That gives you an idea of how large his ministry was. And so I just wanted to learn from him. He actually, funny enough, is on staff now at the Belonging Company in Nashville, but he wasn't then. And so I looked him up and I found out he was doing a conference. He was speaking at a conference. So I went to my pastor and said, hey, can I go to this conference? He said, sure. So he sent me to the conference. So I get to the conference. It's a Friday night, Saturday morning thing. I get in my hotel. I, I walk into the church that it's being, being uh, held at. And over here is like his merchandise table. And over here are probably 50 tables and chairs and a coffee bar, like a huge coffee bar. So I walk in. It's about 45 minutes until the conference starts. I walk in. I don't know anybody here. And this area over here is packed. It's so loud. All these children's pastors and their spouses and their leaders are just laughing and talking and drinking coffee and having a great time. And I'm like, Wow, and I looked over here, and Jim Weidman, I'd seen him, obviously I knew what he looked like, was sitting behind his merchandise desk by himself. And so I was like, that's really, like, he's right there. Like, he was like a celebrity to me, so I'm like, he's right there. And I thought, well, maybe he put some kind of rule, like don't talk to me or something, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of, you know, and I said, well, I'm gonna break the rule. I wasn't here anyway. So I walk up to him, and I said, hey, Pastor Jim, so I am. And he, he gets up, he's like, oh, hi. Apparently nobody had talking to him. So, so we start talking. And we're just talking, and we're talking, and we're talking. And every once in a while, someone would come up and ask about merchandise, and he'd be like, excuse me, Troy. And he'd be like, yep, thank you. Okay, okay, hey, man, I was saying this. He'd go back. It got, we talked for so long that the conference actually started. Worship had already ended, and they had to come to him and say, hey, Jim, we actually need you to come in and speak because you're the main speaker. And so he gets up to go, and here's what he says to me. He says, hey, Troy, we were going to give away this bundle of all of my merchandise for free. And he said, we were gonna do like some kind of drawing. He said, but I wanna give it to you. And I was like, thanks. So he gives me the bundle. We go into the conference. Conference is great. Conference is over. Of course, everybody wants to talk to him now. So I, you know, I just chit-chatted with some other children's pastors and I went back to my hotel room. Well, almost every children's pastor that was there was in the same hotel because it was like right next door to the church. So I'm walking into the hotel lobby area and I look over and there's a glass conference room and he's in the conference room. He's meeting with a couple guys. I'm like, Jim Weidman's in my hotel. This is awesome. And so I'm like standing, you know, looking at him like at a zoo or something. And, uh, and he looks over and he sees me. And he, he knocks on the glass. He's like, where is him? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then he goes back to his meeting. I go back to my hotel. So I, I call, I, I, Darla was with me, so I called her that night. I remember telling her the whole story. And the next, next morning we woke up and we go down to the continental breakfast. And I'm standing in line like everybody else is. You know, you got bed head and all that kind of stuff. And I'm trying to get my bagel. And I'm sitting there. All of a sudden I hear, hey, Troy. Now, there's probably like 50 children's pastors in this breakfast area. 
I'm like, I don't know anybody. So I turn around and Jim Wideman is sitting at this little table with his breakfast. He's like, hey, come eat breakfast with me. And I go sit down and I have a two hour long breakfast with this man. Now I have another story just like that with a totally different uh, children's past. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. Like the only reason why I was experiencing that is because I stepped out and took on the opportunity, right? Everybody who was having coffee had the same opportunity I had to do that, but nobody accepted the invitation. But hear me, inside every invitation to solve a problem is an opportunity to discover your purpose. Every problem that ever comes across your plate, inside of it, if you would ever do it, break it open and use it, inside of it is an opportunity to to discover your purpose, but we are responsible for whether or not we accept the invitation to be involved. When I became the executive pastor in Memphis, people always came to me with the problems because nobody ever wants to go to the pastor. You know what I mean? They want to talk about the pastor, but they want to talk to him. And so they would come to me with all of the problems. And, and, And normally, this was the category of a lot of the problems. All right, you ready? It was things like this. We don't feel connected. Uh, we, we don't feel like we have, you know, a purpose. Uh, we don't feel like we're being fed, which has always been a funny one for me. Um, and it's all these different kind of things. And so here's what I would say to them. I would go, well, hey, let me ask you this. I know that pastor just preached about small groups and launched small groups. Did you get in a small group? Oh, no. You know, we just, we don't really know anybody. We haven't had an opportunity to do that. Oh, okay. No problem. No problem. I said, well, I also know that like, you know, there's growth track going on. And, you know, you can serve on a dream team. Did, did, you, did you jump on a dream team? No, you know, we just, we still like, we still got stuff we're doing. We're out of town on the weekends. I don't really know if we can. I said, okay. Well, I know that, you know, last weekend we had a church picnic. Did, did you go to the church picnic? No, we were actually at it. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? You know what I mean? Like at some point, the invitation's not on me, right? Like here you are saying that you don't feel connected. They're doing all of these things that answer the problem. But it's responsibility, And inside the problem is your opportunity to discover your purpose. The answer that we are looking for is right in front of us, but it's wrapped in responsibility. You got to receive that this morning. What if I told you that the answer to every problem you have right now is already available, but it's inside an opportunity of responsibility? I'll prove it to you scripturally. I thought about going, you know, uh, never mind. I'll, I'll prove it to you scripturally. Get myself in trouble up here on Father's Day. Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 9. And watch what he says. He says, the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. Now, there's so much depth in this. Because to us, a harvest really doesn't mean a lot. But in that day, a harvest meant Everything. To an average person in that day, harvest was nourishment, it was provision, it was finances, it was status, it was generational care, it was all of these things. So here's what Jesus is ultimately saying. Hey, what you need, I got plenty of it. What you need, the harvest is plentiful. You need nourishment? We got plenty of it. You need money? We got plenty of it. You need status? We got plenty of it. But ultimately, here's the problem. He's provided plenty of what we need, but he can't find anyone to pick it. Isn't that interesting to me or interesting to you? That Jesus would be teaching his disciples and say, hey, listen, everything that you need, we got plenty of it. 
We just can't find nobody to pick it. Darla has recently got involved in, in a, a career, Arbonne. And it's funny, I watch her, and she, she's very passionate about it. And she'll experience things that other people don't experience. She'll experience things that people who've been doing it much longer than she has won't experience. But it's because of the responsibility that she's taking on. And I just want us to understand that inside every problem and inside every opportunity of responsibility lies a purpose. Everything that you're asking God for, he's already given us. But we got to go out and pick it. At some point, we got to do something so that we can experience it. But the truth of the matter is, we all kind of, put it like this way. The reward is plenty, but the responsibility is repelling, right? So the reward is plenty, the responsibility is repelling. Let, let, me, I'm, let me use this story to kind of explain what I'm saying here. I feel like I might be losing y'all for a moment. There, there are opportunities out there for us. There are rewards out there for us. But it calls for us to actually do something that involves responsibility. So I'll give you a kind of an interesting story. When I was a senior in high school, or right before I was going to go into being a senior in high school, my parents told me I had to be responsible for paying for my, my car note, my insurance, my cell phone, a couple of different things like that. Maybe it wasn't my car note. It wasn't a lot of money, but I had to get a job. And so I went and got a job at Sears. Do y'all know what Sears is? S-E-A-R-S. So I went and got a job at Sears in the shoe department. That's what I did. I sold shoes at Sears. I was the man, okay? So I got a job there, making a little bit of money, worked the weekends, and I worked all the weeknights, you know, get out of school, get there. So then the senior, it was fine, it was great. The senior year of school started, and they started having all these fun activities for seniors at school, you know, and they would do all these things. And then, you know, y'all know I went to school with Brian, and Brian would come up, and he'd, he'd, he'd tell me he was going to go do this, he was going to go do that. And I was like, man, I want to go. And I was in this weird place because I wanted the reward, which was the money, <laughs> but I also didn't want the responsibility, you know what I mean? Like, I wanted to be able to get the money, but I wanted to be able to go have the fun. Like, I didn't like the fact that the responsibility was the only way I was going to get the reward, and I got mad about it. So here's what I did. I looked at Brian, I said, I'm going to quit this job. And so I went into the back. My, my manager wasn't there. So I went in the back. I got an index card. And I wrote on the index card that my dad had got a job last minute and that we were having to move to a different state. Okay? <laughs> this is 100% true. Um, and because of that, I couldn't do a two weeks notice. And then I propped it up on her keyboard and I left. Right? So don't do any soft music yet. This is not a soft moment. Um, so, so I leave. And I don't come back to work. I, I go do all the school stuff, hang out with Brian. Everything's great. Now, I got to tell you about this. There was another job at Sears that I always coveted. And there was a guy that would walk around in street clothes. And he would just walk around and talk to the employees. And he was secret security. And his job was that if somebody looked like they were doing something wrong, he could kind of follow them around. But because he was in street clothes, nobody would know. And I was like, that's like the dream job. You know what I mean? I'm like an undercover detective at Sears. Like, I got to get that job. But my buddy and another guy, they always had the two jobs. I couldn't do it. So my buddy calls me about a year later after I quit this Sears job, maybe two. And he says, hey, man, that job you want is open. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah. And if you'll go up there because you've worked here before, they'll take your application straight through. I bet you'll get the job immediately. And I was like, I'm going. So I ran up to Sears, put in my application. Couldn't do it online back then. This was like in the 80s. And so I put it on, not kidding, the 90s, 2000s. And so I put in an application. <laughs> forget, forget how old I am. Put in an application. I get called straight into an interview with the manager. I walk in, I sit down. 
And the guy's asking me all these questions. He's like, yeah, I see you worked here. You're great, great, great. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is, this is going through. It's going through. It's going good. And he said, Mr. Powell, I got one question. I said, yes, sir. He said, what exactly did you do to your manager the last time you worked here? I said, sorry, sir. I don't, I don't know what you... He said, well, when I pulled up your name, you are flagged in every Sears in America as un... This is true. As unhirable. I was like, What? I, 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 obviously, I didn't get the job, all right? So she was really mad at me, so she put me in the computer as unhirable. So I went from wanting the reward to not wanting the responsibility to now not getting anything. Here's the best part of the story. Like the first year Darla and I moved here to Smyrna, we went back to Memphis for the holidays or something, and we're in the mall, and we're going to Build-A-Bear in the same mall that the Sears was in. We're going to Build-A-Bear to get the girls a Build-A-Bear. And I had to take a phone call or something, so I'm like out in the lobby area of the phone. Darla's in there buying a Build-A-Bear. And I walk in to the Build-A-Bear, and I walk up and get my wallet out to pay for it. And the, the person checking us out turns around, and it's her, the manager. <laughs> and I'm like, oh! And we said something for a few minutes. I didn't, I didn't let her know. And she looks at me, she goes, she, as she's handing us her back, she goes, do I know you from somewhere? And I was like, nope, see you later. <laughs> I was going on that girl. But I just thought it was so funny to me in that season where I wanted the reward, right? But I didn't want the responsibility. I want the reward, but I don't want the responsibility. But it's in the responsibility that we find the reward. Am I right? Think about it. We all want people to be saved. We all want people to be baptized. We all want the church to grow, but when those people are saved, somebody has to disciple them. When those families are baptized, somebody has to teach their kids about Jesus. You know what I mean? Like at some point, there is a responsibility that births the reward, but you can't have the reward without the responsibility. And this is what's so powerful about Acts 6, because they wanted a reward, they wanted a problem to be fixed. We don't feel like our ladies are getting enough food. We feel like your ladies are getting too much food. We need the problem to be fixed. And the apostles, who used to have would have said, you need to go somewhere else, stopped and said, all right, come here. Let's figure it out because we're going to solve it right now. And guess who's going to fix it? Thank you. <laughs> Somebody got it. See what I'm saying? We all want the reward, but we don't want the responsibility. And we will never experience God's full reward. And I mean this in every aspect, your personal life, the church world. We will never experience God's full reward if we don't step up to the plate of responsibility. Because inside that responsibility is where the reward is. And because it's one thing to identify a problem, it's another thing to sacrifice your life to fulfill it. Right? So let's go back to Acts 6 real quick. What happens after that? Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so as a result of that, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. As soon as someone stepped up to the responsibility, God released the harvest. He said, the harvest is plentiful. We just don't have any workers to pick it. And as soon as somebody steps up to pick it, 
guess what? It's going to flow. Our job has always been to do the hard work. God's job has always been to release the harvest. You need to hear that in every aspect of your life. Guess what? You want your kids to raise up, be raised up well? Guess what? It's God's responsibility to, again, have a harvest there, but you got to do the hard work. You want your marriage to be healthy? God will bless it, but you got to do the hard work. You want your job to be successful? God will bless it, but you have to do the hard work. There has to be a point where we step up and say, God, I'll take the responsibility. I'll do it because I want to see God's full reward. And he's teaching us through the apostles. We don't point fingers anymore. We don't walk into rooms and go, this needs to be fixed. Who's going to do it? We walk into a room and go, guess what? It's either you or it's me or it's us together. We're fixing the problem. God's ministry is going to continue. The gospel is going to spread. We are going to take on the responsibility. And in their responsibility, we find the reward. I listen to Darla and her team talk about Arbonne all the time. And sometimes it's hard because sometimes you do a lot of hard work without a lot of little, without a lot of harvest, right? Which is why it's important to remember that it's your responsibility to do the hard work and it's God's responsibility to release the harvest. I have a friend who lives in Clarksville. His name's Ed. It's an older guy. And his neighbor, his neighbor was always, you know, unfun to be around. Let's put it that way. And his neighbor knew that Ed was a Christian. And so he'd always talk to Ed and say, hey, you know, I don't want to hear about your church. I don't want to hear about Jesus. I don't want to hear about anything. It's kind of the, the things his neighbor would tell him. And Ed would just love on him. No problem, man. No problem. You know, if something happened, that guy would come over and complain about his yard. And Ed would be like, no problem. I'll get it fixed. I'll get it fixed. Well, one day, Ed started to realize that the, the grass and all that around this, his neighbor's house was growing up. It started to look pretty bad. So Ed talked to a small group, and he said, hey, is there any chance that we could take a Saturday and go over here and, you know, manicure this guy's yard and everything? And they're like, sure, sure, sure. So he goes, and he knocks on his neighbor's door. Neighbor opens the door. He says, hey, man, I just, you know, me and my small group want to know, could we come over to your house and, and just mow your grass and, you know, your, your plants and all this kind of stuff? And the guy's like, what's your agenda? You know, and Ed's like, I don't have an agenda. Like, we just, we just want to serve you. That's what he kept saying. We just want to serve you. We just want to serve you. And the guy said, I tell you what, you can do that. He said, but I'm not going to your church. <laughs> it's like, fine, man. Like, I, don't, I haven't even told you. You don't even know what church I go to. Like, it's, it's fine. Like, I, you know, and I don't want to hear about your Jesus. And the guy's like, it's like, fine, man. I don't want to tell you about Jesus. So the next week, the small group comes through, and they do all this stuff to cut his yard, his plants, the whole deal. A couple weeks go by. Sure enough, nothing's happened. The plants are going back up again. It's like, hmm. Because normally this guy would kind of keep his yard, you know, fairly well manicured. So he goes back over, knocks on the door, the guy opens the door, and he goes, hey, um, is it okay if I continue to take care of your grass for you? And the guy's like, what is your agenda? Who are you? He goes, I just want to serve you. I just want to serve you. And the guy goes, fine, but I ain't going to your church. And said, fine, man. Like, that's fine. So he starts mowing his grass. A couple days later, Ed finds out that what had happened was his neighbor had found out that he was sick. And, it, you know, his health was just kind of deteriorating bit by bit by bit. And so when Ed found that out, he went and knocked on his door again. He said, hey, I just want to know. He said, I'm done with your yard. He said, do you need anything else? 
And the guy's like, what do you mean? He's like, do you need anything done in the house? Like, do you need anything cleaned in your house? You need anything? And the guy's like, what's your agenda? I'm not coming to your church. I mean, like, this happened all the time. It's a true story. And Ed's like, look, man, I'm not, quit saying that. I'm not here to introduce, I just, I just want to serve you. I just want to serve you. So the guy said, sure. So he came in. Obviously, they start talking. Eventually, he finds out this guy gets to a point where he can't drive anymore. So Ed starts to have to drive him to different places, grocery store, doctor appointments, all these different things. Well, obviously, they strike up a relationship. Well, as his health begins to deteriorate more and more and more, he becomes more and more afraid of death. So he starts asking Ed about Jesus. So in these car rides to the doctor's office, Ed would have the opportunity to share the story of Jesus with them. And this continued. The guy never did step foot into Ed's church. But every time Ed would start spending days with him, go over to his house, do some work, met his kids, helped him kind of, have, kind of mend that relationship ended up leading this man to Christ. And when Ed was telling me this story, he's telling me as tears are coming down his face because the day before he told me, he was driving down the road and he got a phone call from this guy and the guy had, or got a phone call from his family and the guy had been rushed to the hospital, wasn't doing good. And so Ed cut a U-turn, drove all the way to the hospital, walked in and sat down beside that man for two hours. His family wasn't there, but Ed was, holding his hand, praying, and Ed said, every time I would pray about eternity with Jesus, he would squeeze my hand. He said he couldn't talk, but he squeezed my hand. As I'm prepping this message, this story kept coming to my mind because I'm thinking like, the reward for Ed was this man gets to go to heaven, right? But that reward was so hidden in responsibility. It was like years that he worked in his yard. And Ed never knew that he was going to get saved. Ed didn't know. He never did come to church. But the reward is hidden in the responsibility. But if we're not excited about the responsibility, we may never get to the reward. But we have to serve. We have to give. We have to work. We got to sweat. And the more we do that, deep in there, if you would have pulled Ed out early, I guarantee you, if you would have said, Ed, what's the reward? Ed would have said, I hope he'll come to church one day. He never got that reward. But if you really set Ed down and kind of investigated and said, but at the root of it, what's your, what, what is your real reward? Well, I just hope he gets saved. Well, he got that reward. So it's all about our ability to stick with the responsibility. And then we find the reward. Let me say this and I'll close. I'm walking through Walmart the other day. And I came across the Lego section which I thought was really interesting about Lego. I was thinking this, it's the only toy out there that you have to work before you can play, <laughs> right? Most toys you buy and there they are, you're ready to go. And so what you do is, you know, you, 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 get, you, you buy it by the picture. Like, oh man, that'd be really cool to have. Like, like my kids want this really bad. They're like, oh, oh, there's a dragon. But then when you open it, right? Like this isn't this. But here's what I think is interesting about Legos. You and I have no problem understanding that this is what we get if we'll work on this. We fully understand that. That this is the reward, but we have to what? Build it. We don't have any problem with that. It's like, oh, that, that's what I want. And this is what God does. We want to see people saved. This is God's reward. You want to see family members baptized? God will give it to you. 
You want to see marriages healed? You want to see children saved? This is the reward. But guess what, guys? We have to build it. We have to work on it because inside the responsibility is the reward. The apostles said, yes, we can do that. But you have to do it. So it made me think about last week. And it made me think about the excitement that we get to do it again. More people saved. More people baptized. And more responsibility. God will give us that. But we have to build it. Amen? Would you stand with me for a second? I think there's a weight of responsibility, or let me say it like this. I think there's a weight to responsibility. And I think it's important for us to not just want God to do something, but to be willing to do whatever it takes to see God be able to do it. So I thought it'd be cool to do something together. If you're in town, you're visiting with us, you don't, you don't have to do this, but, but maybe you do. I got this banner over here that says, do it again. And it's kind of a staple of what we talked about last week and the fact that we're gonna do this again. And that instead of planting the church with 45 people like we did, now we have 163 people. Now we have way more money, way more influence. We're gonna do it again. We're excited. But listen to me. As we get ready to do this, there's gonna be more responsibility. When we launch at the movies and people come piling in, there's going to be people that need to be discipled. There's going to be kids that need to be watched. There's going to be people that need to be, you know, handshaking at the door, umbrellas from their car. Responsibility is going to come before the reward. And I just want to make sure that we're on the page that, hey, we're going to build it. We'll build it. So here's what I thought might be cool. For me, encouragement. For you, reminder and encouragement is that as we play this last song, down by the sign, there's some Sharpies. I just thought it'd be cool for you to come down and sign the banner. Like, I'm in. Let's do it again. Let's go after it. Let's see people save. Let's turn Smyrna upside down. Like, I'm in. I'm taking the responsibility. I believe the reward. I want to do it again. Just thought that'd be a, be a cool moment. And then everybody that's watching online, whether you're not here today or when you come back, the banner will be here and you can sign it. And when that happens, and when we look back on moments like this, we're able to look at that banner and be like, do you remember that? Remember that? Remember when we accepted that responsibility, when we committed together to do it again? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and then the band will start to lead us in a song. And here's what I'm asking. If, if, if you don't want that responsibility, by all means, don't do it. But if you're with me on this, and you do want to see God do it again, and you do want to help build it, then I'm going to ask you to come down at your own time before you leave, get one of them Sharpies, and just sign on that banner. And I just think it's going to be cool to have that out there as a reminder that we're going to do this together. Amen? You do that for me? So I'll pray, and then you be led as you're led. Father, we thank you right now 
for your word. I thank you that inside every responsibility is a reward, that nothing we ever do for you goes unnoticed, that not only does your word not return void, but serving you does not return void. I thank you that as the Greek Jews came before the Hebrew Jews and said, we need to fix this problem, that they looked back at them and said, all right, you're going to fix it. Because Father, you put that responsibility on us. And I think it's important for us to carry that responsibility and to not just shout that we want people to be saved, but be willing to disciple those who are saved. To not shout that we just want a church to grow, but be willing to serve those as the church does grow. I thank you for the story of Ed. And Father, that reminding us that sometimes the, the work is hard, but it's so worth it. You're always faithful. I pray over us as a church. And Father, it's true, you have given us so many more people and so much more resource and so much more influence as we get ready to, quote unquote, do it again. And therefore that means, Father, that we could see so many more people saved, so many more people baptized, so many more people finding their purpose. So many more people in small groups, so many more marriages healed and miracles done. But Father, the harvest is plenty. The workers are few. And what you're asking is that your children would be willing to take the responsibility of working the fields so that we can see the harvest. Move in this place, I pray. I pray your Holy Spirit right now would just be speaking to people in a way that I couldn't. Draw in their hearts to the purpose of going after our town and our city for people who don't know you, Jesus. Use us, I pray. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.